Well, good morning. My name is Mark, and appreciate you worshiping with us this morning. Um, missed you all last week as we took a, a Sunday away, and it's uh, good to be back. And appreciate being back. It's good to be back with your church family. And I appreciate you all. I appreciate the opportunity that you give me to pastor your church. Appreciate the opportunity that you give me to um, study the Bible for a living. And I thank you for that very much. I um, have been in a series here for the last six or seven weeks called Your Move, Better Choices and Fewer Regrets. We've been saying some of the similar things week in and week out, talking about choices that we make. And also sometimes we've talked about how to make those choices. We said your life is the sum total of the choices that you make, and so is mine. And choice plus choice plus choice plus choice plus the thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of choices you have equals November the 22nd, 2015. And so um, everything that you have in your life uh, wasn't your choice, but you have a choice on how to be able to deal with that, don't you? And that's an awfully important choice that you make. Um, before you have a choice, which is kind of a behavior probably, before you have any kind of a choice, uh, any kind of action, you have to think about it, don't you? We've said many times that the thought is the father of the deed. The thought is the father of the deed. We've said that today's thoughts become tomorrow's actions, any way you want to be able to say that. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is in his heart. So what I want to tell you this morning is it's all in your head. (laughs) But it really is. That doesn't deny the external realities of life. That doesn't, the fact that I say it's all in your head doesn't deny the fact that some of you have cancer or cancer in your family. Some of you have marriages you're struggling with or struggling marriages in your family. Some of you have children that are way off and making very poor choices and you're, you don't know how that's going to end up. Some of you uh, have uh, marital difficulty. Some of you have career difficulty, financial difficulties. All the external realities of life, they're there. But the way we deal with those is a head thing. The way we successfully get through those is a head thing. We make choices. And if some of those choices may actually be a behavior, and there is no behavior that doesn't happen before you have a thought first. Uh, sometimes people think, said, well, I'm sorry, I wasn't thinking. Yes, you were. You may not have been thinking of the consequence of what you were going to say or do, or you may not have thought how that would have sounded or whatever, but you were thinking. You cannot have an action, I don't think, call me on this if... if If I'm wrong, maybe an action of your heart beating, you don't think about that, or breathing, you don't think about that. But any kind of voluntary action happens because we we have a thought. I mean, I cannot take a step off of here without first thinking about that. I cannot climb back up here without thinking about that. You cannot have a successful choice unless there is a corresponding thought that becomes before And so that's why I say this morning, it's all in your head. It's all in your head. It was all in our head this week as we were at the Grand Canyon. We um, went to the Grand Canyon to celebrate our 20th anniversary, and and we went out on the west rim of the Grand Canyon. We went out to, some of you have seen a picture of a skywalk that they have that 
that extends maybe, I don't know, 50 feet out, and, the, and it's glass. And you look straight down, obviously. And you walk out on that um, skywalk, and there's some, on either side of the skywalk, there's, it's like it's frosted or something. You can't see down three on either side. In the middle, like four feet of it is total glass. So I went out, and my first step was over here on this frosted part that I can't see. But that was all in my head, wasn't it? Like I was really safer over here, you know? And so I step finally to this part, and my legs get all shaky. That's a physical reaction, but it's all in my head. It's a physical reaction, but it's all in my head. Doesn't deny the fact that I'm standing on a piece of glass over 4,000 feet above the bottom of the canyon here. It's all in my head. It's all in your head. The Apostle Paul talks about that in the New Testament in lots of places, lots of places. He says in a passage that we quote all the time in Romans chapter 12 that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the renewing of our minds. Wouldn't it be cool if we could kneel at an altar of prayer and God just come along and knock us over the head with his holy baseball bat and everything is taken care of in our life? But it just does not happen that way. We are renewed. We are transformed. We are renewed, transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the Apostle Paul says that over and over and over again, that it's the stinking thinking that we have to take out and the godly thinking that we have to be able to put in as we become changed in our Christian life. And the reason that is, is because if we want our deeds to change, the thought is the father of the deed. And today's thoughts become tomorrow's actions. Now, I could have picked a lot of places in Scripture for us to be able to go to talk about this, but I've chosen the book of Philippians. If you have your Bible, would you open it to the book of Philippians? We have Bibles close to most of our doors here. Grab one. If you don't have one, take it home with you. If you know someone that doesn't have a Bible, take it home with you. That's what they're there for. Would you open it to... Philippians, that's a hard little book to find. And the only way I can remember to where to find it is remember General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay? They're right there in the middle of the New Testament. Or you can say George eats popcorn. Whatever you got to do. But I couldn't remember where those little books, which does Galatians come before Colossians or Philippians after uh, Colossians? If I remember George eats popcorn. Whatever you have to do to be able to get to the book of Philippians. And if you don't have your Bible, we're going to have it on the screen as well. Paul wrote this to a church. We call it the book of Philippians. It's not really a book. It's, we call them the books of the Bible, and that's okay. But this was a letter. This was nothing more than a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that met at a town called Philippi. And the people that lived in Philippi were called... What? Brain surgery, right? Okay. So if Paul had written a letter to the church that met at Xenia, it would be called Xenians. First Xenians, second Xenians, or whatever it would be. It's all that it is. It's a letter that he wrote. And all of the New Testament are letters that he wrote to churches that were meeting in Rome, churches that were meeting in Corinth, churches that were meeting in Galatia, in Colossae, and all of those places. All of Paul's letters were to, to churches, and this is a letter to the church that met at 
Philippi. And to this church at Philippi in the fourth chapter, he writes these things. In chapter 4. Now, how would you like to be two women, and the only reason you get your name in the Bible is because you're having an argument? Now, how would you like that? <laughs> the only two times Zeodia and Syntyche's names show up is because Paul tells them to stop arguing. And, and we don't know what this argument was about, but it was big enough that Paul would mention it. It was big enough that he calls them out by name, which he never does in other instances. So he says, I plead with you. That's a strong word. I plead with you, Yodia, and, and I plead with Sintikia to be of the same mind. Other translations will be able to say to agree in the Lord. Okay? Let's continue. Yes, I ask you, my true companion... Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So these are Christians. Names are in the book of life. These are Christians that, for whatever reason, are having a disagreement. And we can only speculate as to what that disagreement is. Okay, let's continue. Rejoice in the Lord, always. I say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I've never preached on the peace of God because it transcends all understanding. I can't figure it out. And you can't either. How can that family, how can that family go through that? You can't explain the peace of God. It transcends all understanding. How can the family deal with that death? How can the family deal with that suicide? How can the family deal, you can't explain it. It's the peace of God. And it transcends all understanding. How can the family deal with that child? How can the family deal with that tragedy? How can the family deal with that fill in the blank? It's the peace of God. And you don't understand it. And I sure can't explain it to you. Because the Bible says it transcends all understanding. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think. Think about these things. Now, Darren, go back to 4.2, the very first verse is where Paul says these two women. He says, would you agree in the Lord or would you have the same mind in the Lord? And, and the, whatever translation that you may have, that little phrase there, same mind, literally means, literally means in the original language, think the same things. 
It literally means to think the same things. Paul is telling these two ladies, I need you to be unified. I need you to be able to come together on this. I need you to put a unified front on this. I need you to be able to agree and come to agreement. And whatever your disagreement is, you're going to have to drop it and agree to disagree on that. Come together in the Lord. Come together in the Lord. Apostle Paul in other places says we don't have to agree with each other on everything. In many other places in Scripture, it's, 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 it's the Apostle Paul saying it's how that we need to disagree is the big thing. Sometimes people get all freaked out when you have conflict in your life. The conflict is not the issue. How you deal with the conflict is the issue. As long as two people live on the face of this earth, and if they're honest with, with each other, there will be conflict. And they may be dishonest and stuff that conflict and act like it doesn't exist. But as long as there's two people, there'll be conflict. It's not unchristian to have conflict. It's not unchristian to have a disagreement with your spouse. In fact, it's very ordinary. You can't be married more than one day before you realize you disagree with your spouse on some things. It's how you have the disagreement. It's how you have that conflict. And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to, to be unified. And so what he's probably meaning, since in other places we know he says you don't have to agree absolutely on everything. Paul says in Romans there are disputable matters that one can see one way and another can see another way. Paul says that. So this must mean put down your disagreement and agree to disagree. Put that, whatever it is you're disagreeing about, and we don't know what it was. It had to be significant or he wouldn't have included in the letter. But it could not have risen to a, a level of a gospel issue or a doctrinal issue because Paul, you know Paul, he would have come out and said who's wrong on that. He does it in other letters. If there was a, a wrong belief or wrong thinking about Jesus or wrong thinking about the Christian life, and Paul says you're wrong about that and that's a huge issue, Paul would have called him out on it. He does it all the time. So this was not like a big essential area, whatever it was. I don't know. Paul says, agree to disagree. And you must do that in the Lord. You can't do that in the flesh. Because if you do that in the, fle in the flesh, it's, I have to be right. In the flesh, is I have to win this argument. In the flesh, it's, you're wrong. In the flesh, is I got to argue until you admit you're wrong. And I got to back you into this corner. That's in the flesh. But in the Lord, brother and sister in Christ, we can agree to disagree. I don't agree with you. You don't agree with me, but you're my brother and you're my sister. You know, we really lost something in this culture today. We can no longer disagree without being called names. And people get offended when you disagree with them. I don't understand that. I long ago, friends, gave up the hope that everybody's going to agree with me. And... <laughs> I'm a much happier person because of it. I'm not offended if you disagree. I think some people are offended because they're like, maybe they don't know why they believe something and someone would challenge them and they don't know really why they believe it anyway because that's just what my mom told me. or something. And they just get take offense. But what's wrong with disagreeing? What's wrong with having two different opinions? In the Lord, 
in the flesh. I'm going to argue you and I'm going to. In the flesh, I'm going to win. In the Lord. I don't know, brother, but you've got the right to be wrong. Some of you haven't got that joke yet. Why is it in the Christian life we Christians seem to major on the disagreements that we have between one another or denominations and we don't focus on the overwhelming amount of things we agree on? Why is it that we agree with our Baptist brothers, our Assembly of God brothers, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, our, our Lutheran brothers and sisters on so much stuff but it seems like we focus on what we disagree on. Paul says, would you agree in the Lord? Our church fathers have said hundreds and hundreds of years ago that in the essentials of our faith, we must have unity. And in the non-essentials, we have liberty. And in all things, we have love. In all things, we have love. My Facebook page this week has been full of Christians on two sides of this Syrian issue that say, if you don't believe them, you're not a Christian. I don't get that. I don't get it. I can look at my brother. I can look at my sister. And I can realize we may have a disagreement, but we can agree to disagree because unity, unity in the body of Christ is so important. Let's say you're not a Christian here today, so you don't give a rip about unity in the body of Christ. You know what? This applies to your family. Some, of the, some sisters don't speak to sisters, and brothers don't speak to brothers, and mothers don't speak to daughters, and cousins don't speak to cousins, and it probably wasn't over a huge issue. Agree to disagree. It's not worth it anymore. And whatever this disagreement was, Paul says it's significant enough for me to call these ladies out my name. Paul says, think the same things. Come to agreement on what you can come to agreement on. And when you can't, you agree to disagree. And you do that in the Lord. There's been many times in my Christian life I've had, difficult, had to have difficult conversations. And most of those have been as a pastor. I've, have, I've had to have very difficult conversations with a parishioner about something. Very difficult. Wasn't looking forward to it at all. And many times I've asked somebody to pray with with me and say, would you pray about this meeting that I have with so-and-so? Would you pray with this meeting that I have with so-and-so? And once the meeting was over, I'd see that person I asked to pray for a week later or whatever and say, well, how'd that meeting with so-and-so go? And I would say, well, I invariably say this many times. I say, well, we didn't agree, but we were Christian about it. We stayed Christian. We stayed Christian. In the conflict, in the disagreement, 
we stayed Christian. I had, I had a family in this church that two or three years had two or three things they wanted to talk to me about that they kind of were, uh, had a little disagreement with. And, and I, I, I so appreciated that they just call me in and want to talk with about it and don't talk behind my back. And, and you know what I appreciated so much about that couple? is when we sat down and, and had that meeting, the first thing that lay couple did was say, well, let's pray before we have this meeting. I've never, had a, I've never had a lay couple in all my ministry instigate prayer with me. See, it's, it's, it's not that you have conflict. It's how you handle the conflict. Come to the same mind in the Lord. In the Lord. In the Lord. Because you're a Christian, deal with that differently than the world deals with it. Apostle Paul continues in the, he asked some people to come help him here in this disagreement, and we're called to be peacemakers, right? He says some people may need some mediation in this, so he asked some other people to come help. And then verse 4, Darren, what do we have? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. Don't be anxious. Now, this is fascinating to me. What does that word anxious mean? And we say, well, I know what anxious means. It means that I, I, I. No, no. You have to go and see what that word Paul wrote because it's translated into an English word. And the word Paul wrote is a Greek word. And it, the word is a, is a combination of two words. One of, part of that word means divided and the other part of that word means thought or thinking. So literally, the word anxious in the original means divided thoughts. Divided thinking. That's fascinating. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't have divided thoughts. And isn't that what worry and anxiety is? I'm a Christian and I trust in a holy omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent creator God who's the governor of the universe who, who, who told the oceans to come this far and no longer. I put my hope and trust in him and he says he'll never leave me or forsake me. But I fret. That's divided thinking. That's divided thinking. God said just lay, let me bear your burdens. No matter what your issue is, bring it before me. I, I, I love you with an everlasting love. But I fret. It's divided thinking. And that's what anxiety is. It's divided thinking. I trust, I lean I put my whole faith, I lean real hard, but I fret. And I'm divided in my thoughts, and I'm divided in my thinking. Paul says, don't do that. Don't be anxious. Don't have divided thoughts. Instead, prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Bring all your requests to God. Some of us, 
I really think that our spiritual gift is worrying. Dr. Walter Calvert did a study several years ago about the things we worry about, the surveys and polls, and he came to these. He said 40% 40 of the things that we worry about never, ever happen. They never, ever happen. 30% of our worries concern the past, which is the past, and there's not a single thing that I can do to change it. It's just the past. 12% 12% of our worries are needless worries about our, our, our health. I love my mother to death. But she, you know, you get those big, long pieces of paper that come with your medications. and they, She reads every word of those. And you read one of those and you think you're dying if you take this pill. I said, Mom, why do you read that? I don't, I don't have any clue why she reads that. It despawns worry. Needless worries about our health. 10% of our worries are just about really insignificant and petty things. You know how much we worry about what people think about us when you know what? People don't think about us. Don't you know that? How much of an egomaniac are you to think people think about you all the time? They don't think about you. And we worry so much about how people think of us. They don't give you a second thought. You are not that important in their life. Four percent of our worries, they're just, I mean, I, they're totally out of my control. And you add those up, there's only 4% of the things that we worry about, according to Dr. George Calvert, that we actually can do something about. Don't have divided thinking. Now, let me free some of you up here. There will never, ever be a point of our Christianity that we will no longer be human and we are no longer we would be subject to human frailties, or what John Wesley called infirmities. Okay? So, Christopher's 16, and has got his driver's license for two weeks, and and his curfew is 10.30, and it's 12, and he's not home yet. Well, I'm pretty much stupid if I don't worry about that, okay? I mean, I I am. I'm not a robot. And there's no part of the Christian life or sanctified life that I'm a robot. I heard people used to talk about the sanctified life. Say, well, if you're sanctified, you know, your clothes can be hung out on the laundry and the wind blows them in the, in, in the mud down there and you just say, praise the Lord. Well, that's about the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> you're, you're never, ever lose your humanity and the frailness and the fragileness and the infirmities that come with our humanity. But there does not have to be a worry that, that just totally binds me. I like the word fret that, that the Psalms use many times. And even when, I, even when I worry about my son who's two hours late and he just had his driver's license for two weeks and, and I can go back and say, God, I gave him to you. And that dedication 
15 and a half years ago, and you still have him. You still have him. Don't have divided thinking. Either he's the king of the universe and he's sitting on his throne, or I fret. Paul finishes here in Philippians chapter 4. He says, finally, brothers, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, pray to God that you will be able to think about these things. It's not what it says, does it? It just says, think about them. Put your mind on those things. Set your mind on those things. Focus on those things. Direct your mind on those things. He doesn't say, ask God that you would focus on those things. He says, you're in control of this. You're in control of what you think about. You're in control of, of, of what you ponder about. And because you are, set your mind on good things. Set your mind on, on godly things. Set your mind on Christ-like things. Control your thinking. How do you do that, Mark? Back in the mid-'80s, there was a sanitation workers' strike in Philadelphia, and so all, all summer the sanitation workers were on strike, and so trash piles up. And at the, when they settled that strike, there was 85 tons of trash in Philadelphia they had to get rid of. And they couldn't find anybody to take it. They couldn't find anyone to take it. So a ship owner saw an opportunity to make some quick buck. He says, hey, we'll take it on our ship. We'll incinerate it, burn it all to ashes, and we'll take it somewhere, and we'll drop it off in some port somewhere. So evidently Philadelphia paid them X amount of dollars to go do that. And the story goes, you can Google this on the Internet, the story goes that the Pelicano, that was the name of the ship, the Pelicano went from port to port to port to port for eight months and couldn't find anyone that would let them dump this garbage because even though it was incinerated nothing but ashes it was toxic you see friends once you get garbage on it's hard to get garbage off how do you control your thoughts it's hard friends once you put garbage in It's tough to get it out. Teens, you want a reason to avoid sin in your life? You can be marvelously forgiven from sin, but the consequences linger. They linger. And that's not only true for teens, that's true for everyone. Don't we wish, just like there is on our computers, there was a delete button. But friends, it ain't there. My dad was 70 years old and looked at me one day and said, the devil is bringing up something that I did when I was 18 years of age. How's that for good news for you? How do you control your thoughts? Better watch what you put in. 
Because once you get trash in, it's hard to get trash out. Well, don't you just forget about it? Oh, man. All of your brains have had the experience of remembering something that happened years and years and years and years ago. You, you haven't thought of that for years. And it just came to your mind how powerful your brain must be. How powerful your brain must be. So, if garbage in is tough to get out, what is it that you, uh, what kind of music do you listen to? Oh, it's just music. What kind of movies do you watch? Once you get trash in, it's really had to get, hard to get trash out. What kind of movies do you watch? Yeah, I know, I know. It's not a, I know you might have the Christian liberty and freedom to watch that. I know with that, and I agree with that. That doesn't make it good for you as a Christian. That doesn't mean it takes you closer to Jesus. That doesn't mean it takes you closer to the kingdom. What kind of movies do you watch? What kind of videos do you rent? Oh, oh, oh pastor, none of his business. I'm just trying to tell you, you want to control your thoughts? What goes in is hard to get off, friends. I wish there was a delete button. I wish there was a holy baseball bat that he could just hit me over the top of his head and make me forget about it. What kind of books do you read? What kind of video games do you play? What kind of TV shows do you watch? Garbage in. Tough to get off. What kind of conversations do you have at work? Who do you listen to at work? Who do you listen to at work? Let me say it again. Who do you listen to at work? What kind of advice are they giving you? They, they love you. I know they do. They're well meaning. I know they do. But they may be without a single clue. Who do you listen to? Good advice is hard to come by. I have a nephew that played for high school state championship game in Wisconsin. He's, he's a junior. He's a pretty good player. Rushed for 2,300 yards. Scored 40 touchdowns. He's, he's got some people looking at him. And so a lot of people were telling him this week, you know, you're playing a state championship game at Camp Randall Stadium in Madison. And and, you know, the, the college coaches are going to be there, and they don't really care what you do about Podunk High School back in the second week of the season. They care about what you do in the state championship game. So he had all these people telling him that, like, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, you know. So his mother told me that he was, you know, he was really getting pretty tight about it because they can't afford him to, to send him to, you know, a school that he'd really like to go to. He really wants college scholarship. And so I sent him an email. And I said this, and I said it in these words. I said, forget about the college crap. And I said, it's all crap right now. The only thing you have to do is go out and win a state championship. Take care of business on the field, and college will take care of itself. 
He wrote me back. He said, he said Uncle Mark, he said, I, people told me a lot of things this week, but nothing is connected like that has. Who do you take advice from? Who do you listen to? And why do you listen to them? Well, she's my sister. I don't care. Trash in. It's hard to get off. What do you daydream about? What do you think about when you don't have anything to think about? Thoughts can come in my mind and come in yours, and we can't help that. We can't help just random thoughts floating into our mind. We can't help that. That's because of our flesh. That's because of the enemy. I don't, I don't know why. But, but we don't have to take that thought and we don't have to fondle it and we don't have to roll it around in our mind and we don't have to think on it and we don't have to wonder if and we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because today's thoughts are tomorrow's actions. Proverbs 23, as a man thinks, so he is in his heart. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. Some of you are old enough to remember Norman Vincent Peale, power of positive thinking. Some of you are old enough to remember Robert Schuller, the Crystal Cathedral in California. And... Why there's truth to positive thinking, that's not all we're talking about here. That's not all we're talking about here. We're talking grounded in reality and the truth of God's word. Grounded in reality. People come to me and say, I don't feel Christian. What's he supposed to feel like? This is not a feeling thing. It's great when we have a feel. It's great when I get goosebumps. It's great when I get a tear. It's great when I get all this. It's great when I start crying, listening to a Christian song on the radio. That's great. But that doesn't make me a Christian. I used to cry to Southern Gospel songs when I was not a Christian because it just brought back memories over my dad's old Methodist churches. It reached my emotions, but nothing had ever happened to me because I never made a choice to repent and to trust Jesus. faith it's not feeling it's faith and truth not feeling and faith happens in your head I choose to believe in the light of the fact that I don't feel real Christian today in light of the fact that whatever I choose to believe in that truth that I'm believing the Bible says sets me free. Oh. Who said it? I can't remember who said it in the scripture. I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Bill Gaither wrote a song that says, I believe, even though I may never feel, that tear may never come. Oh, I wish it would come. I see it on other people's faces, but I still believe. It's all in your head. That doesn't deny the external realities of what you're going through, but the way you deal with that external reality is all 
in your head. It's all in your head. One of the best thoughts that we can be able to have this week or any week of the year is the thought of thanksgiving. How, how easy my mind is to be able to think on things that I don't have and things that I wish were different and wish were better when I've got it better than nine out of ten people, more than that on the face of this earth, more than that. You do too. You may not have better than nine out of ten people in Xenia, but when we're talking about all of God's creation, red, yellow, black, and white, you got a better, everybody in this room right now has got better than nine out of ten of them. The thoughts of thanksgiving, gratefulness that we hear a lot about this week is not a one-week thing, it's a 52-week thing. And what kind of thought would be better to think on? And I'm just, I'm just so thankful, God, that I got great people to pastor. I got, a, I got a great church to pastor. I got an unbelievable wife. I got two kids, or maybe one kid that's okay. And, you know, I, <laughs> I got two cars, and I chose between what outfits I was going to wear this morning. There's food in the pantry, money in the bank. You know how many people in the world can't say that? And when you come to the table in just a second, this table in the Catholic tradition is usually called the Eucharist. It's a word that means give thanks. And you come to the table because, wow, one big worry you have if you're a believer is taken care of. And you're so grateful of what Jesus has done for you. And want to have that spirit of thanksgiving. Even amidst some of the external realities of our lives. I've tried to tell you this morning, that's all in my head. It really is. And it's all in your head too.